Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life podcast, providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future. Let's get you the answers you need about retirement, investing, asset planning, and the current market. Here's your host, Julian Rubenstein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. My name is Julian Rubenstein, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the president of American Asset Management, a registered investment advisor located in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm very excited about today's show, as we are fortunate to have Justin Mooney, special counsel from Hinman, Howard & Cattell Law Firm, as our guest today. So please join me in welcoming Justin to the podcast. Hello, Justin. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Great. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join us today. Uh, I'm really excited about you sharing your knowledge and experiences from your career in law. So with that said, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, so I'm uh, in Atlanta. I was born and raised in Atlanta. I spent 25 years there and eventually left to go to law school in Florida and been in Florida ever since. Uh, my practice has focused on taxes, estate planning, probate, trust administration, basically all the guarantees in life, death and taxes. And in my free time, I like to play music and go to the many botanical gardens that we have here on the uh, in South Florida. All right. You went, so you're a gator? Yeah. Okay. Now, what drew you to this type of law? Like, why estate planning? It's generally less adversarial. You're not dealing with, um, like, everything is, is usually win-win. Whereas I have friends doing litigation and it's always just trying to beat the other person. And in my area of work, it's making sure that everyone is happy and no one's really having a compromise, which is generally something you're going to have to do if you're litigating. Um, yeah, and I never thought of it that way. You're right. You're not in a, in a litigious uh, area of the law. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, how long have you been with the firm? I just came two years. I uh, just had my two-year anniversary about a week ago. Practice in this area, South Florida, for about three years. And then uh, I was in Sarasota for three or four years prior. Love both coasts. I still spend both time on both coasts. Uh, I have family back in Sarasota, so we like to travel and see them. And they have really nice, those white sand beaches there. Right. Yeah. That's great. So let me ask you, you've been doing this for a while. What do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Probably the benefit of dynasty trusts. A lot of the times when I was starting out, all my planning was just having wills for people, making sure that the assets went to the right people, which is still important with dynasty trust planning. But basically, a dynasty trust is you're giving it to a trustee for the benefit of, let's say, your kids. And then if your kids go out and have any car accidents, bad business deals, divorces, things like that, all the money that's in that trust is still going to be protected. And then when that kid dies, it goes to their children and so on and so forth, continues on in perpetuity. And it's protected from all these outside creditors for your kids and grandkids. If they uh, have had business deals, get sued, things like that. 
And there's an added benefit that if you trust them enough, they can be their own trustee and they're still benefited from that. So I wish I could have gone back to my clients my first two years of practice and advised them that that's a great way to protect the money that they built up their whole life and make sure it stays with who they want it to go to and not the creditors of that person. Well, so you're saying when you set up a dynasty trust, let's say for your children, they can be their own trustee? Yeah. So it's it's seen as them wearing two hats. So if I put together the terms of a trust, which say only discretionary distributions of either income or principal can go to the beneficiary, the court will look at it and say, well, even though the beneficiary is the trustee, they still have to follow the terms of the trust. And if they determine it's not in the best interest of the beneficiary to make that distribution, they don't have to do it. They can't force it. The caveat being in Florida, they will force a distribution uh, for spousal and child support, which at the end of the day, who wants to work with clients that are trying to shirk that responsibility? Okay. (laughs) But you're saying from a creditor, it can't be touched. Yes. It's the next best thing with uh, asset protection. So a lot of people are trying to look at how can I protect my assets during my life? Some states allow you to have what's called a um, a self-settled asset protection trust, which is I take my money, I give it to a trustee that's in Nevada or South Dakota. They manage it. I have no assets in my name, so I can have a bad business deal, car accident. They can't take the money that's in that trust. Florida has doesn't allow that, and there's some writing on the wall that says that If you're a Florida resident and you try to set up one of those other trusts in the other state, it's not going to work. So basically, since your heirs are not the person setting up this trust, you're able to keep the asset protected. Whereas if you try to set it up for yourself, it's not going to work. You're talking about like the Wyoming cocktail, I think it's called, where you settle the trust with a private trust company. Yeah, yes. A lot of people, they call them uh, DAPs. Uh, domestic asset protection trust. So they've been used for quite a few years now. And some people think that they're, you know, pretty safe. It seems like there's some writing on the wall with some case law that's coming out that it might not last unless you live in that state. So if you want to protect your assets, you have to live in either Alaska, South Dakota, or Nevada. That's kind of a the rub. Right. I think um, what I've learned, what I've actually read, and I'm not saying I'm correct, in Wyoming, the private trust company is not actually owned by you. It's actually owned by some, a plot of land, like a cemetery. Am I going <laughs> up the right tree here? Yes. So generally you want to have it look as, as a bona fide transaction as possible. So it's these trust companies that are, that are legitimate trust companies. Their purpose is to serve as a corporate trustee that you are not related to for the purposes of uh, the internal revenue code. Generally, that's how it is. It's, it's a company, they charge you fees, and you pretty much have no say over how they operate, except for, you know, you can remove them and appoint someone else. So they're a little beholden to you. Right. Okay. And now, would you do this um, trust in those states or just in Florida? No, I don't do the domestic asset protection, just because I feel like it's it may be a waste of my client's money. What I recommend to protect your assets, if you're married, hold everything jointly. 
Sure. Um, if you're holding everything jointly. Tenancy the entirety. Best thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're completely protected. The one thing you can't do, though, is drive your spouse's car. It's I see it happen so often. In Florida, if you own a car and someone else is driving it and that car gets into an accident, the driver is responsible and so is the owner of the vehicle. So only owners of the vehicles should be driving because if you get, if like my wife was driving my car and gets into an accident, anything that we own jointly, that's a single creditor suing us both for the same underlying action can take any of our assets. Oh, well, I did not. So that's interesting. Like in my case, I, uh, my name's on both leases. So you're saying if my wife gets into an accident, then I would be liable. I'm not sure that's how it works for leases because you're not the owner of the vehicle because it, oh, it's right. based on ownership. So it's like the title holder yes. is generally what it comes down to. Cause yeah. there was a, uh, the one thing I always mention is um, Hulk Hogan. Cause I, I don't know if he still lives in Clearwater, but he did at least like five, 10 years ago, his son was driving around one of his cars, got into a car accident. And I don't think his son has a whole lot of assets. So obviously they're going after Hulk Hogan for the lawsuit in addition to his son, because he was the Hulk Hogan was the ultimate title holder. Right. I, I know. And you're right about leases because everyone learned the hard way this year. If you were trying to sell your car, leased car as, at a profit, yeah, you said you can't because we own the car. Yeah. So you're hundred percent right. I would never have thought that, but yes, they were stopping people from making money. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. Um, what is something that you share with every client when it comes to estate planning? Like what's one super important thing? Probably naming the right people for the right positions. It's it's difficult to kind of not necessarily talk people out of naming their spouse or naming their oldest kid for you know, their healthcare surrogate, their power of attorney, those things. It's, you know, I try to get a sense of, let's say you're incapacitated or you're you're dead. Is your spouse going to be, you know, emotionally available to do all the probate administration, to take care of all the tasks that need to get done, that kind of thing. Uh, and then also a lot of people want to name all of their kids together to make the decisions if the spouse isn't the first choice. One issue that I see coming up with everyone wants to name their, their kids. They have like, you know, three or four kids. They're all named as the power of attorney or healthcare surrogate. That doesn't work practically because if everyone has a say, nothing's getting done. My wife used to work for Trustbridge as an admissions nurse uh, for hospice. And a lot of the time you would have, three people named on a document to make the healthcare decisions. But unless you get a two or all of them to agree, the decision's not being made. So she's kind of explained, she's like, yeah, a lot of the time, if we can't get everyone to agree, nothing's going to get done. So every time I, I tell my clients, I'm like, make sure you name the right people who are able to make those difficult decisions and only name one person at a time. Because if you are trying to, to have two or more people get together and agree on something, it's not going to happen. And especially with big financial decisions and healthcare decisions about what's best for mom or dad when they're lying in the hospital, it's not something you want to sit around and spend a whole lot of time arguing about. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, we, we try to tell our clients, 
you know, if you're going to have your kids as, as your surrogates, it's or not. And like they yeah. be able to uh, yeah. act independently. Correct. Uh, you know, getting back to what you said about the dynasty trust, when you're living though, that's, that's not going to help you with asset protection. Correct. That's going to help your kids. Yeah. So with asset protection, my go-to is obviously if you're married, title everything jointly. If you're not married, another thing that you can do is, is an LLC. So here in Florida, you can set up a limited liability company. If you have rental property and it's not an LLC, that's got to be in there immediately. Uh, for those who don't understand, what an LLC does is it provides, it contains problems. So if you have a an asset that's in an LLC and it blows up and creates liability. So like you have a rental property, someone gets injured on it. If it's not an LLC, it's just in your individual name, that renter or whoever got injured on the property can sue and take all of your assets. But if it's in an LLC, the most they can get are the assets of that LLC. I have some clients that want to be cheap and they'll have multiple rental properties in the same LLC. And it's like, if you, if one of those goes, it can create a domino effect. Obviously, that's just for worst case scenario because most of the time you're going to have insurance on these properties. So it's just, you know, a lot of the asset protection planning involves worst case scenario. What's the worst that could happen? And so that's what I try to tell them is like, we if we want to take the extra step, set up a separate LLC for uh, your rental property, a boat, any kind of recreational vehicles you have. One thing I've been recommending more for single people to protect the asset from being seized is a South Dakota or a Wyoming or a Delaware LLC. So in Florida, if you have a single person that owns an LLC as the sole member, that asset can be taken in a judgment. But in Delaware, Wyoming, and South Dakota, the most that they can get, a creditor can get against you is a charging order, which just says if there's any distributions made out of the LLC, that creditor is the first one to get it. So it's it's similar to that uh, you know domestic asset protection trust where it's in these other territories. But the benefit is it's a lot easier to just put one asset in an LLC and name a resident agent for for that LLC, and then you can pretty much operate the business without having to have a you know a trust company as the added administrative expense. So if you set up an LLC in Wyoming, right, and let's assume it's not real estate, you put stocks and bonds in there. Yeah. And then you you have to get a registered agent that is a resident of that state, correct? Yeah, there's a couple companies that provide it for, I think, like 50 to $75 a year. Right, they're the registered agent, but they don't have control over the LLC. No, no. So the registered agent is just the person where if you get sued, that's who's supposed to get the notice of the of the lawsuit. Right. So the question, though, is when they get a charging order, now that means if you take a distribution, it's supposed to go to the creditor. Yeah. But how does anybody know, like, how does anyone know? So you get a charging order, you just move your account to another bank. How does a charging order follow? Most of the advice is just don't take a distribution from that LLC until the the judgment, uh, the charging order expires. I forget how long it would be in every case, but eventually it's going to expire. And then they have to either refile and get a new one or they 
abandon it, and then you're kind of free and clear. But if all your assets are in that trust and you need to live on it, can you make loans to, to yourself or is that a distribution? No, it wouldn't necessarily be a distribution. But I, with a lot of these asset protection things, it's it's you generally aren't going to be making yourself 100% judgment proof. You're still going to have some assets outside of it. So you keep like $100,000 for your regular checking account or if you do have this uh, holding company, this holding company LLC that's holding all of your stocks and investments, it'll make the distributions to your personal account when you want it. And that's how you use it. It's just once the uh, once the judgment creditors start coming in, that's when you're going to be turning off those faucets Got it. and stop making the distributions. Right. So why would someone have a Florida LLC if, if it's really not protecting you? Much better off going to one of those states. I mean, a Florida LLC is still beneficial to contain the, the liability inside those LLCs. And then also, if you're if you're married or you have a business partner that you work with, then you get that charging order protection in Florida. It's just if it's a single member. Oh, I see. If you're married, yeah. you, get, you get the charging order protection. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So, so one thing, if, if people don't want to do out-of-state LLCs, I recommend, okay, if you have someone you trust, you're your child or a friend, you give them a one or 2% membership interest in the LLC. So then all the creditor can get is a charging order because the courts aren't going to allow them to force a distribution because it would be negatively impacting the other member and depriving them of uh, due process because they didn't, it's not their judgment. Uh, so just to be clear, you're saying a Florida LLC is just as good as a Nevada or Wyoming, provided there's two members. Yes. I did not realize that. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. That's very, very educational. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't talked about? Yeah. So it's uh, I was at a conference in the beginning of January talking with um, uh, an organization called Easter Seals, and they do a lot of, of work with special needs persons. And it got me to thinking one thing that I don't see a lot of practitioners implementing is lifetime provisions in their trust for special needs children. We're starting to see more and more adults that are needing special care. Like, so let's say you're in your 50s, 60s, and you have an adult child that you're pretty much caring for. A lot of the times you'll have your will or your revocable trust. And that just says... You know, your will only comes into effect when you die. And then your revocable trust just says, if I'm incapacitated, my trustee can make distributions for my benefit. But one thing I've been looking at adjusting to my trust is if I have a client that has a, a special needs person that they're taking care of, if my client becomes incapacitated, you know, I need that trust to pick up the slack of what they were doing when they were had capacity so that that trustee can make distributions to the to the settler of the trust and also their child who they've been caring for. Because a lot of the time people have it, they'll put in special need trust provisions for after they die, which makes sense. You're dead. You want to have assets in there to take care of your, your children for the rest of their lifetime. Make sure that they are qualifying for their uh, government benefits and that these special needs trusts provide that supplemental benefit. But if those provisions don't kick in until after death, 
and you're incapacitated, it's kind of this gray area of, of what's going to happen. Who's going to be taking care of this person before mom or dad eventually dies and those special needs trust provisions kick in. Okay. That's fair. I, I was not aware of that. Well, Justin, I want to thank you. And I, I really learned a lot today. And maybe we can do this again and dig down a little deeper into these trusts. Um, yeah. How can our listeners contact you if they'd like to uh, uh, have a consult? Yeah, sure. I am offering uh, any of the listeners a, a complimentary consultation. They can either call my direct office at 561-276-1008, or they can email me at jmooney at hhk.com. Okay, that's great. All right, Justin, well, thank you very much. and look forward to having you back on the show. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. For more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.